That's in the Bible, episode 34, Roman Catholicism versus the Bible. Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Hello and welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name's Eric. Glad you could join us here for episode 34. And uh, we really should record for some some way the the, uh, pre-show banter that uh, sometimes gets pretty silly and is actually a lot of fun. But I want to welcome everyone to our podcast and um, let's see, Pastor Strobel, how are you this evening? I'm doing good. I'm saved and sealed and secure. Amen. How about you, Matt? I'm doing good. I'm uh, saved as well. I haven't lost my salvation. Praise the Lord. Amen. And Steve, how about you? <laughs> I'm doing just fine. Sanctified, filled with the Holy I'm sorry, Steve. We just got this word in. The uh, podcast has been suspended due to a <laughs> delay in recording. <laughs> just kidding. Steve, oh, Steve was a little bit late joining us, but he was uh, he was on a spiritual quest tonight, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, what have you been up to? Well, uh, this pa- this week, uh, Tuesday, we well, this week, uh, Charity Mission, which is a mission down in Buffalo, New York, uh, has their revival, and um, has been our habit uh, for many years. Our, I take the choir down on Tuesday. And we sing uh, for their revival meeting, and Brother Don Hardman preaches the revival. And uh, then on an off night, uh, such as tonight, we went. my wife and I went back down and uh, heard some good preaching and uh, just uh, rejoiced with the saints. And then this coming Friday, we're, we're preaching down at City Mission. So this week's been pretty busy. Yeah, sounds like you're keeping real busy. Amen. Busy there in beautiful, sunny western New York. And this is the weather must be pretty nice now, too. We're getting that way, right? Well, it's starting to cool off quite a bit today. It's supposed to get nasty over the weekend, but uh, it has been very, 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 very pleasant and enjoyable. So nice to feel that change in season. You know, they, if anybody's listening from somewhere else where maybe they don't experience it quite the way we do, it's, it's always nice to have that. Well, I'll tell you, the, the last few years, and, and this may happen more often than not, but it always seems as though we have winter and then it just bang just jumps right into summer we don't really get that transition of, of spring what is that uh, this uh, year global warming <laughs> i don't know what you want to call it but this year has been very pleasant we've had a nice uh, nice transition and and springs in the air and and uh, it's been uh, really enjoyable also this past weekend i just i don't mean to carry on but made a trip back to uh, indiana and Saw my uh, my folks and uh, uh, mom's in a nursing home right now and got a chance to see her and Amen. and so just uh, had so had a good time this week. Been very busy. Amen. Pastor Strobel. Well, Monday night I was in uh, uh, Attica, just visiting. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> just passing through as a monopoly would say. <laughs> 
Yep, they let us let me out, which was always good. Amen. Uh, a little dicey on the way in. They didn't have the gate clearance for us up there, and I was told I wouldn't be able to get in. Thankfully, I had to go to the restroom. Um, when I got out, I was getting ready to leave, and the guy said, hold on. And another uh, uh, volunteer had come in, and they, they didn't have his gate clearance either. And so, um, long story short, they found it was some located someplace else. This was the beginning of the month, I guess, and they, they sent uh, one of the officers for it. And we were able to get in. And um, so I actually did um, two studies there with the men uh, that night. Um, And so I had a good time there. And we're getting ready for our spring revival meeting here at our church. Uh, We have um, evangelist Mark McGay coming in. Uh, Brother Mark graduated uh, with me from Pensacola Bible Institute. Now he's a veteran evangelist. who has been on the road for a number of years now. Uh, he preaches um, well-crafted and uh, uh, spirit, spiritist messages. Um, he, um, he's uh, zealous. He loves the Lord. And he's never gotten over uh, his salvation and loves Amen. to uh, preach about his testimony. He'll be coming in. Then we have one of our missionaries that will be with us for um, a couple days, um, Brother Tim Searles, who's a veteran missionary in Thailand. And whenever I've heard him, he's always got something uh, thought-provoking and soul-stirring to preach about. So he'll be with us all day Sunday and then Monday, and then he has to leave. Um, and then I have uh, a local uh, pastor, Brother Jim Donath, coming in. Uh, he's been actually a missionary, helping out churches and so forth, and right now has uh, been planted in um, a Buffalo area, uh, taking over a church that, that needed a pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he'll be providing special music for us on Tuesday and then preaching for us that night with um, Brother Mark as well, and then uh, Brother Mark alone on on Wednesday. So we're getting ready for that and looking forward to it. Amen. 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 How about you, Matt? Well, I am, uh, <clears throat> I'm saved and just want to clarify for those that don't listen to, uh, all the time, I uh, can't lose my salvation. Amen. <laughs> And, uh, but, uh, yeah, everything's been good. We went, uh, door knocking tonight. Uh, visitation was tonight. So like usual, and, uh, it was just a good time. Uh, brother Tom and I have a good time going out there together and it's always nice having a brother in the Lord that, that uh, you like spending time with. And, and, uh, you know, we just, uh, agree on so many things, of course, on the Bible and, and things like that. So it's really nice to go out there. You don't have to worry about what you're going to say to them and, and things like that, and, and uh, so we had a good time door knocking, and <clears throat> had some good knocks, and usually we have a lot of doors slammed in our face, uh, you know, not because we're trying to be harsh or anything like that, just because a lot of people don't want to hear the gospel around here, but but uh, uh, we had a good street today, you know, we, we were out there for a little over an hour, and, and I would say almost all of them, uh, everybody would listen to the gospel, so it was it was a blessing, we, we uh, witnessed to a couple people that said they were saved, but <clears throat> we dug deeper, and and they believe that uh, you know their good works are going to get them to heaven. So so it's it's pretty amazing how people just know the terminology. You know they say they're saved. They say they've been they've accepted Christ as their savior. But when you dig deeper, they they are you know uh, uh, believing in an experience that saved them or that God saved them through some kind of turmoil that they know that they they must be saved because God took them out of this certain thing. You know and and we know that's that's not the case. You know you need to understand you're a sinner. You deserve hell and. I need to repent of sins and, and accept Christ as your Savior. But uh, most of those, you know, most of the people tonight have never done that. And, and so that was a blessing to be able to do that. And, and, uh, and just uh, also we're going to be going out to Fulton. Uh, the guys, uh, Brother Tom and Brother Tyler here at the church at Buckley Road. And we're going to go to Fulton and uh, help Emmanuel Baptist Church out there uh, to, uh, 
to street preach out there this Saturday. So I'm looking forward to that. It's been a while since I've been street preaching, so probably about a month now. So so I'm looking forward to that. Amen. Amen. And here in uh, the Binghamton area, we've got uh, our third uh, annual missions conference coming up. That's going to be May 19th through May 23rd, and that's at Tri-City Baptist in Bustle, New York. And we've got the Hendricks to Ireland coming in, and the Mansfield family to Liverpool, England, and the Gates family in Philadelphia. So, looking forward to to some uh, preaching and getting some, some more of that again. So... And Matt, you have a quote of the day for us. I do. Now, this, is this a Star Spangled Banner uh, music quote, or should... Uh, should no, I wouldn't that? say this is... I don't know, Pastor Shovel, what do you think? Uh, no, probably not Star Spangled Banner. All right. <laughs> well, 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 we'll go ahead and uh, and let you do the uh, quote of the day, at least to give you a little, uh, little intro quote uh, sound effect here. Yeah, that's right, about this- right. <laughs> all right this quote is from uh it's called the salem news and uh, you can find this on if you go on the internet and you go to www.salemnews.com and uh what this says here it's uh, located in danvers massachusetts and it says a massachusetts church is scheduled to launch a new monthly worship service for dogs Calvary Episcopal Church will offer later this month its first perfect pause pet ministry aimed at giving area pooches and their owners improved odds at getting canines into heaven. Canvers Church plans to hold the service on the third Sunday of every month, complete with communion for the humans and special blessings for pets. Dogs will get special treats. Church officials said well-mannered leash dogs are invited. People can submit paper People can submit a paper prayer if their pets are sick, not good around other dogs or deceased. <laughs> Prayers can also be offered for other types of pets. Reverend Thea Keith Lucas told the Salem News, dogs will have a say during service because barking won't be banned. <laughs> so that's from the Salem News. Well, wait a minute. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, we, 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 that's what the dogs are saying anyway. Amen. <laughs> We've got a caller on the line who wanted to chime in about that. <laughs> We got we got a caller on the line that wanted to chime in about the article that article. Go ahead, caller. Just sick. You got to be sick to think like that, man. Something wrong with you. Thank you, caller. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to have a dog bark or something. <laughs> well, that church has gone to the dogs. <laughs> oh Lord, have mercy. Right. Can you imagine that though? A, a church service. I mean, I, I can't concentrate with some people. Like raffling some papers around. Can you mean so, like, imagine just being in there with a whole bunch of canines barking the whole time? I just hope they let the people say amen during the preaching. Let <laughs> yeah. the dogs bark. <laughs> well, that quote stands all by itself. It does, and but you know what? It, it's hard to believe that that's actually real, but given that it is. There'll be people that will go and take oh, their yeah. dogs. Well, I thought it was bad enough they had dog psychologists. Now they've got, now they got dog churches. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, it does remind me of um, an incident I heard about with uh, a relative at uh, their church from uh, Illinois several years ago. 
they were having the, I think it was a Methodist church, and they were having a service or announced they were going to have a service on a, I think it was the following Sunday or, or one to come, where they invited the little girls to bring their dolls so they could baptize them. Oh, and boy. The, wow. And apparently the relative or the person that we knew about it didn't want to bring their doll because they didn't want their doll to get wet. <laughs> Which was a good idea. <laughs> now, if we did that at our church, now their church they just got sprinkled. At our right. church, that thing would be <laughs> be leaking water for weeks. Yeah. You'd have a Betsy Wetsy or something there. <laughs> I think we need a back to the Bible. Can you imagine what God's Lord. thinking when He's up there in heaven taking a look at this stuff? Well, and people think that this is real. I mean serious stuff it's like he's got to be up there just grieved unbelievably i just well i'm making a making a joke and a travesty of something that's real and serious it's i you know i know people think that their pets are human but i'm sorry folks pets are not human (laughs) yeah I, i mean i bet you if you took a poll yeah, I would hate to say it, but even Christians, if you took a poll and you asked them what they thought about pets, about where they would go, I mean, oh yeah, you would hope that they would say, you know, pets aren't human beings. I mean, Bible says that uh, man became a living soul, and uh, I mean, nothing else has became a living soul. And, uh, you know, we know Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 talks about the spirit of man goeth upward and the spirit of the beast goeth downward to the earth. And, uh, you know, the spirit of man is the only thing that can communicate with God if it's been born again. Uh, but uh, there's no uh, being born again as a dog or anything like that. But but uh, I've heard it before. I've heard, I mean, even people at work and, and out and about, you know, you, you bring up that there's no, none of your pets are going to go to heaven. They're like, oh, you know, don't say that. <laughs> you know? You're it's right, like, Matt. Yeah, You're absolutely right. We, we might have some listeners right now saying that. Uh, yeah, there probably are. Yeah. Unfortunately, well, it, unfortunately, but I mean, it's because of the attachment they have to them and and so forth, and I can understand that. But the honest, you know, here's here's a verse for you, Revelation twenty two fifteen, speaking of um, the prior verse was speaking about folks being able to enter in through the gates into the city, uh, and it says in Revelation twenty two fifteen, for without our dogs. Mm-hmm. So in spite of the <laughs> cartoon, you know, all dogs go to heaven. Apparently, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> now that being said, let me just throw one other thing. That's not to say there's not going to be any animals uh, in heaven. Uh, we're coming back on white horses. Yeah, man. They're just going to be. There's going to be new ones, I think. Amen. The ones that can go through the uh, the second heaven. Yeah, they got a little bit of supernatural properties to them, like our new bodies. Amen. Yeah, man. <clears throat> right. That's good. I'm going to use that next time for without our dogs. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I like that. I never thought about that before. And I like dogs like the next guy, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got two of them. I mean... Trained. They're trained beasts, too. (laughs) You wouldn't think that of me, would you? (laughs) No, but Steve's... We we have a dog here, so we're we're not anti-dog by any means. We spend money on the thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the fact that the Bible rules out over personal opinion or personal affections. Amen. And, um, you know, I, I like our dogs. If, if one of them passed away, I'd probably cry and shed a tear and, and miss them. But that doesn't 
just <laughs> just because uh, you get attached to them doesn't mean that they you know they God's going to give them a free ride to heaven or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. they just people just don't know their Bible. That's all. Yeah, that's true. And if they do, they choose to ignore it. <laughs> that's right. So. Well, I thought that was funny anyway. <laughs> well, it was interesting, that's for sure. I mean, yeah, but unbelievable still yeah. at the same time. <laughs> it's funny and sad at the same time. Yeah. Where, where was that at, man? This is in Denver, Danvers, which is D-A-N-V-E-R-S, Massachusetts. SalemNews.com, though. Yeah. Is that what you said? Yep, SalemNews.com. Yeah, I mean, this is... And you look under the comments (laughs) that some of these people put online here, and the first comment says, if I had a way to get to Danvers, I would take my dog there so we could share our spirituality together. I mean, (laughs) you look at some of these comments and you think... Uh, if people are saying, I wish there was a way I could get there, I, I wonder if this is going to be, God forbid, but I wonder if this is going to be a trend now that's going to start, you know? Yeah, I would but, hope not. I would hope I, that we get more sense than that as a nation. <laughs> I mean, you have hotels for dogs now. You have, like, vacation, you have vacation places for dogs. You do? Yeah. Well, yeah. You have places for dogs. where they get groomed all day long, they go play, They you drop them off, and it's like a, a retreat for dogs. What about the homeless? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> huh? Why aren't the homeless being able to take advantage of that if they're doing it for the dogs? Well, it costs money. <laughs> the dogs don't get to be dropped off for free. Well, the dogs don't have any money. Yeah, but, but, but we do. With the owners. <laughs> yeah. I'm at the site, Matt. Whereabouts on... Uh, <laughs> Steve's going to track this down. <laughs> I'm, just, uh, I'm Steve, just curious. You you do like those two dogs, don't you, Steve? Yeah. <laughs> uh, He's going to Google Maps. I, I, I'm at SalemNews.com, and I'm looking for the story, and I don't see it. Um... Actually, what I'm at, it, it says that's where it's from, but I'm at Boston.com. Boston.com. Okay. I'll try that. So you can try that, and uh, and it should give a whole list. And you can click on News, and I think it's on Odds and Ends, and it kind of goes over some. Well, Steve's trying to find that, but for you folks that are listening in and, and do want to check it out, we'll have a uh, link to it on the show notes so you can see it if you want to. <laughs> all righty i'm sorry oh i was just gonna say he said that was under odds and ends and i was just thinking emphasis yeah. on odds yeah. <laughs> yeah. certainly appropriate isn't it all right well with that introduction we're, we're, we're looking at uh roman catholicism versus the bible with pastor strobel here tonight are you ready pastor strobel yes sir all right. Well, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and get started. Amen. The Roman Catholic Church has, for years, maintained a strong influence throughout the world. Um, it has, in recent times, received uh, two black eyes in the press as the suppressed abuse that has taken place in many Catholic circles has come to light. 
And this study is not going to be focused on those uh, allegations, uh, save for a brief comment under the first point, but uh, rather we're going to take a look at the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church in the light of the Holy Scriptures. The study is not an attack on Roman Catholics, but rather a simple comparison between Catholic doctrine and the Scriptures. I myself grew up as a Roman Catholic. I attended eight years of Roman Catholic grade school. I became an altar boy when I was in third grade. I attended two years of Roman Catholic high school, and I visited a Roman Catholic high school seminary and also two Roman Catholic college seminaries where at the college seminaries I stayed overnight on campus. Um, I have counseled with Roman Catholic priests as I was seeking for God, and I was making plans to become a Roman Catholic priest after thinking long and hard about it because uh, I wanted to know I was going to heaven, and I thought that that would get me there. So the doctrines that we talk about and that I bring up are not going to be something that I read in a book that somebody wrote against the Catholic Church. Uh, these are the doctrines I was taught in church and in uh, school, and uh, these are doctrines that are still uh, promoted and taught today. The purpose of this study is twofold. Number one, I want to provide an opportunity for any Roman Catholic to honestly compare some of the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church with uh, that of what the Bible says. And secondly, I want to equip uh, all who listen with a knowledge of these things so that uh, you might be better equipped to discuss them and be a help to others. And with that, let's uh, dive in. I have several points that uh, I want to uh, cover tonight. Uh, first point being the topic of the celibacy of the priests. And uh, that is to say that a priest is not, not to get married and is to remain celibate, uh, pure, chaste, um, in, in that regard. And certainly it's a good thing to be pure and a good thing to be chaste. The celibacy uh, idea means that uh, he's never to get married or engage in the um, act of marriage, uh, in the physical relationship. <laughs> in regard to that, First Timothy chapter 3 tells us this. Uh, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Now, in the Bible, you see the bishops were married. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it was said that they were to be married. It was one of the qualifications of a bishop. And the word bishop means uh, overseer. Uh, you can see that in a dictionary. I uh, pulled it from the first definition in uh, Webster's 1828 dictionary. Uh, it says uh, overseer. And the office of a bishop is uh, that of the office of a New Testament pastor. Uh, who are overseers in the church. Uh, the Bible says that uh, they were to be married. It's been a long topic of debate among Roman Catholics themselves as to whether they should allow priests to marry uh, or not. And the truth is, if they would just believe and read and follow the Bible, uh, they could get the right answer. The truth is further that if this practice had been followed, it would certainly have helped to avert the scandals, or many of them, regarding sexual abuse that has plagued the Roman Catholic Church really for centuries, uh, thus allowing a priest to be fulfilled in the scriptural, scripturally honorable institution of marriage. Hebrews 13.4 says, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Furthermore, in regard to this uh, idea of um, the celibacy of the priest, 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 says, now the Spirit speaketh, speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, 
forbidding to marry. When I first got saved and began to read the Bible, uh, this was one of the first things that jumped out at me in regard to what I had learned as a Roman Catholic and what the Bible says in, uh, in seeing the difference that uh, not everything that I was taught as a Roman Catholic was uh, actually scriptural. For, for not only the priest, uh, but also the nuns were forbidden to marry. And uh, I was surprised to find out that the scriptures had spoken against that. So, uh, number one, as you begin to pit the doctrines of uh, Roman Catholicism against the scriptures, you see a, um, a deviation from what they teach and what the Bible says in this area in regard to the celibacy of the priests. Another uh, Roman Catholic doctrine is the doctrine of no meat on Fridays. It is the current practice of the Roman Catholic Church to require that its members do not eat meat on Fridays during Lent. Now, this requirement used to be more stringent, uh, requiring that Catholics abstain from meat on every Friday all year round. Uh, this was changed, according to my research, in uh, 1966. Now, let me read a little further in the quotation I began to read a moment ago. Uh, I'll read now from 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 2 and then uh, a little bit more into verse 3, where it says, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats. Once again, when uh, just starting to read the Bible and, and coming out of uh, my Roman Catholic background and seeing these things, both of them uh, pitted together right next to each other, uh, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, I immediately thought of the practices of the Roman Catholic Church for having grown up um, with nuns as uh, teachers and priests as uh, teachers as well as uh, the pastors in the church. And um, uh, growing up with uh, not being able to meet on, eat meat on Fridays during Lent, uh, I was immediately enlightened to see that the Bible talked about people that would, would do such things or create such doctrines. Again, of forbidding to marry or commanding to abstain from meats. So again, this was enlightening to me when I first began to read the Bible and notice these things. And it was around then that I began to notice uh, strongly that uh, some of the things I had been taught religiously were contrary to what the scripture says. Let me give you another one. Um, I was taught, and, and, and it is taught and practiced in the Roman Catholic Church, that we are to call the priests father. We're to call them father. Imagine my surprise when, in reading the Bible, I came across Matthew chapter 23, verse 9, which says, And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. That's pretty cut and dried, isn't it? I mean, um, I don't really even have to make a whole lot of comments about it. Now, if a person doubts it has a bearing on religious leaders, you should note that the religious leaders are the context. That is the context. Matthew chapter 23, verse 8 says, and then I'll read verse 9 together with it, starting with Matthew 23, verse 8, But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren, and call no man your father upon the earth. For one is your Father, which is in heaven. It's very easy to say what Jesus was, or it's very easy to see what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying. What's hard is for some people to simply accept it, especially if they're used to violating this instruction in the practice of their religion. However, as I learned a long time ago, uh, when your religion goes against the Bible, you need to adjust your religion to line up with the Bible. Even today, if I find that I hold to a belief, and then as I read the Bible, find that the Bible uh, speaks against that belief, uh, I'm not going to change the Bible to make it match up with my belief. I'm going to change my belief to make it match up with the Bible, that I might be scripturally sound.
Another practice of the Roman Catholic Church is the exaltation of the Pope. The Pope is not only called Father, but he's called the Holy Father. Holy Father. One should note that this title, Holy Father, is reserved for God in the Scriptures. The only time the phrase is used in the Bible is in John 17 and verse 11. And here Jesus is praying to God the Father, and he says this, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, capital H, capital F, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. That title, Holy Father, is reserved for the Lord God Almighty himself. And any hijack of that title is no less than blasphemy. And uh, speaking of blasphemy, uh, I noticed um, years ago, 1981 was the year, uh, May 25th, 1981, the May 25th, 1981 edition, I should say, of Time magazine. I remember seeing it, and it covered the shooting of Pope John Paul II. And there were many um, pages uh, dedicated to that shooting, which is certainly understandable. But what I was shocked about was they had a headline in uh, one of those places where uh, they would deal with the subject. And the headline said in bold, bold black letters, it's like shooting God. Now, while any such assassination attempt is certainly not to be condoned, it does not justify elevating the Pope to a status of deity. There are and have been and always will be only three members of the Trinity. So to exalt him to, to be the vicar of Christ on the earth, to exalt him to be called Holy Father, or, or for, for people to say it's like shooting God, it shows the mentality of the people and, and how highly they hold him, uh, like, like he was God on the earth, which of course he's not. The Pope and the priests, the bishops and the cardinals are all sinners just like the rest of us. When I first um, heard the uh, verse, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, I already knew I was a sinner. But what struck me about it was that um, these elevated people that I looked to, um, the nuns, priests, cardinals, bishops, popes, etc., I recognized that uh, we were in the same boat. All of us had sinned and come short of the glory of God. And uh, the Bible says that every man, and that includes the popes and, and, the, and pastors, I mean, I'm a pastor, includes me. Every man at his best state is altogether vanity. The Bible says furthermore in Isaiah 64 and verse number 6, we are all as an unclean thing. It goes on to say, and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So to elevate the Pope to um, uh, near deity status, if not deity status, is to put him in a position that uh, God never intended for him to be. Speaking of the Pope, another uh, Catholic uh, tenet of the faith is uh, they proclaim Peter as being the first Pope. It should also be noted that neither the title nor the office of Pope, while we're talking about it, can be found anywhere in Scripture. And the common teaching of Peter as the first Pope presents some embarrassing questions for the Roman Catholic Church to answer in light of their uh, aforementioned doctrine of celibacy. Uh, for the, the priests, the bishops, the cardinals, and the popes. And um, I'm going to read you now from Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, where uh, we're going to discover a, uh, an important question in light of uh, the teaching of uh, Peter being the first pope. And here it says, And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, 
he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. Here you discover that uh, the apostle Peter was married. He had a wife, and his wife uh, had a mother, and uh, her mother was, uh, was uh, sick of a fever, and the Lord Jesus Christ healed her, and then she arose and, and ministered to him. So we find Peter, uh, Peter's mother-in-law reference here. And, um, you know, if there's a mother-in-law, there's a, uh, there's a wife. Because it'd be a pretty raw deal to have to have a mother-in-law and not even ha- have a wife. <laughs> now, the, well, the common teaching of the Catholic Church is that Peter was the rock on whom Jesus founded the church, according to Matthew 16, verse 18. They cite that as a, a proof for that. Um, Peter writes two epistles, and he never refers to himself as the rock. When the Lord says in Matthew 16, 18, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, Peter knew who he was talking about, even if um, the, Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church does not. When Peter, in his epistles, refers to someone as the rock, he refers to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And uh, sometime you can look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 8, and you can see that reference. The Apostle Paul also makes reference to the rock with a capital R, Paul makes reference, and when he does so, he likewise refers to Christ. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. It says, And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. None of the apostles refers to Peter as the rock. When the Lord Jesus Christ made that statement in Matthew chapter uh, 16, verse 18, he told Peter, Thou art Peter. <laughs> and then upon this rock, and, and Peter was Peter, and the rock was Jesus. Upon this rock I'll build my church. Jesus Christ is called the foundation in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The rock that the church was founded upon was Jesus, and not Simon Peter or any succession of popes. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 31 says, For their rock is not as our rock. Our, even our enemies themselves being judges. And it's interesting, all the way back in Deuteronomy 32, when he said their rock, he used a small r, lowercase, and then it said is not as our rock, he used a uh, capital R. And uh, it would say also in Deuteronomy of the Lord God, he is the rock, his work is perfect. And we course, of course we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Another doctrine of the Catholic Church is the perpetual virginity of Mary. And this is a teaching that Mary continued as a virgin for the rest of her life after the virgin birth of Jesus. I was once again enlightened by reading the Bible to find out that Jesus had brothers and sisters. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 55 through 57, we read the following. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, Are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. The Lord Jesus Christ acknowledged that these were brethren, uh, his brethren, his sisters. Uh, These were were people of his own house. Uh, These were children that Mary bore after she bore Jesus Christ. 
you find four uh, male children listed by name, then you find sisters listed plural. So the family of Jesus Christ, including Jesus, included um, at least seven people. Jesus, and then four brothers, and at least two sisters, and uh, possibly more. Uh, Paul also says in Galatians 1 verse 19, but, of, but, but other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. So the Bible acknowledges that Mary had uh, children, and of course uh, the subsequent children Mary had by natural, normal means, not uh, by a virgin birth, for these uh, children were not uh, virgin-born uh, deity as Jesus Christ was. All right, uh, next we're going to look in, and discuss the um, doctrine of uh, one mediator from the Bible standpoint versus many mediators in the Roman Catholic um, doctrine. And the Roman Catholic Church teaches that uh, we have um, many mediators or go-betweens that we can use to get to God. The most notable being uh, the priests in the practice of confession. And the Catholic uh, teaching is that you are to confess your sins to the priest, and then the priest acts as the mediator between you and God and secures your forgiveness for those sins. Now, the only person in the Bible I can remember confessing to a priest was Judas Iscariot. And here's how it went, Matthew 27. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, here comes his confession, I have sinned. By the way, that's how we were taught to approach the priests. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Saying, And here's Judas, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. Here's the priest's response. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. He cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. All right, that's, that's just interesting. That's kind of a little uh, interesting tidbit I, th- I thought I'd throw in. But, but in regard to the doctrine, uh, let me say this. There, the other mediators of Roman Catholicism include Mary, uh, who uh, has been called a co-mediatrix with Jesus Christ, and then the saints, uh, both to whom Catholics pray regularly. And uh, what does the Bible have to say about that? Very simple. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The only go-between that you need to get to God is Jesus. You can't, you're not going to get in on, um, uh, on Mary's good side, you know, because Mary's kind and sweet, and then get to God by uh, praying through her. Uh, you're, you're, you're not going to get to God by inter- making intercession to St. Jude or any other saint. You're gonna, you can get to God by making intercession to God through Jesus Christ. He's our go-between. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So no other go-betweens uh, to get to God, just Jesus. Of course, another important um, doctrine of um, the Catholic Church has to deal with salvation. And uh, in, the, in, in the Roman Catholic Church, I was taught about Jesus, and I'm, I'm thankful that I was. And I was taught about his life, and I was taught about his death, and his burial, and his resurrection. So I was taught that much of the gospel. Um, I was not taught the gospel according to the scriptures, in that that's the only thing that was necessary for me to receive in order to be saved. And, um, and having been, been taught that, it's like in the Roman Catholic Church, you're taken right up to the threshold of salvation, but you're never taught to walk, how to walk through the door. 
In John 10, the Bible says that Jesus is the door, and by him, if any man enter in, he's going to be saved. And so what I, what I learned and in the doctrine of the Catholic Church was that in order to go to heaven, uh, I must die in a state of grace. Now, this much is correct, but I was taught that the means for obtaining this grace was the receiving of the sacraments for the most part. Um, there's, there's another thing, which we'll get into later, that, uh, that could also help. But the means for receiving this grace was receiving of the sacraments. And uh, this included taking communion, going to f- confession, baptism, etc. Now imagine my surprise when I saw Romans 6.23 in the Bible, and I read, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what light came to my spiritual eyes when I saw for the first time in my life as an 18-year-old that the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I had just spent uh, a lot of energy in the last months when I, before I'd read that trying to earn my way into heaven by going to extra church services, by, by doing extra good works. I was trying to, to be good enough to get to heaven. And then I, uh, I found out in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And to, to learn from the scriptures that getting to heaven was not a reward to be earned, but rather a gift to be received. Uh, it, was, um, it, it was startling. Uh, I, I was a little upset when I heard it, not, to, not at the truth, but at the fact that it was so plain and so clear and nobody had ever told me about it. And uh, what I just gave you in those uh, three verses, Romans 6.23 and Ephesians 2.8 and 9, are only a sampling of the many, many verses that talk about salvation uh, as a gift and not uh, being of works. All right, another Catholic doctrine to be considered in light of the scriptures is the doctrine of purgatory versus the doctrine of heaven and hell only. Purgatory is the teaching of a place of fire where souls are going to go that will eventually make it to heaven after time of uh, purification. Now, basically, the teaching is that when you're not bad enough to go to hell, but not good enough to go straight to heaven, you go to purgatory. And you can, um, you can do this own little experiment on your own, but, but ask most Catholics, or just start asking Catholics, and you're going to find many of them, if not most of them, think that um, where they're going to go when they die is purgatory. Not immediately to heaven, but uh, not straight to hell. And the only problem, again, is that uh, when it comes to purgatory, there's just no such place in the Bible. Now, the further teaching of the Roman Catholic Church is that one can receive indulgences to reduce his time in purgatory. Now, indulgences are extra sacramental means of obtaining grace. In other words, something beyond the sacraments. That's what I mentioned earlier as far as obtaining grace. And and if you were to look up um, Martin Luther's 95 Thesis, uh, which uh, he nailed to the, uh, the door, you know, at the Diet of Worms, to start the Reformation, you're going to find that um, the subject of indulgences was a main sticking point that Luther had with the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church's practice in those days was to actually sell indulgences for money. I'm not sure if they still do that today, um, but, uh, but Luther had a problem with this. And what indulgences are essentially is uh, it's time off in purgatory for, for good behavior, if you will. 
it's uh, it's you uh, not having to endure all of the time that you normally would have in purgatory, but it allows you to get out early and uh, then uh, make your way to heaven. Um, to see how these indulgences are used today, I'm going to read you from the Roman Catholic um, Bible, uh, just not, not the text, but um, uh, some introductory material or some, some material in the beginning before the text from the St. Joseph uh, New Catholic Edition. And uh, here they offer indulgences for reading the Bible. And it says this, An indulgence of three years is granted to the faithful who read the books of the Bible for at least a quarter of an hour with the reverence due to the divine word as spiritual reading. Now, let me say this. I think it'd be a good idea for the Catholics to read the Bible for at least a quarter of an hour a day. That's only 15 minutes a day. That'd be a good thing to do. It says, to the faithful who piously read at least some verses of the gospel, and in addition, I'm not, and what I'm about to tell you, you don't need to do, but reading the Bible it, it is good. To the faithful who piously read at least some verses of the gospel, and in addition, while kissing the gospel book, devoutly recite, or devoutly recite one of the following invocations. May our sins be blotted out through the words of the gospel. May the reading of the gospel be our salvation and protection. May Christ, the Son of God, teach us the words of the gospel. An indulgence of 500 days is granted. A plenary indulgence which means an indulgence where no further indulgences are necessary. It's like your final payment. A plenary indulgence under the usual conditions is granted for those who for a whole month daily act in the way indicated above. Let me just say this. If you could read your Bible for a quarter of an hour of a day, day, um, according to what the Catholic Church is teaching here at the beginning of this um, Bible, this Roman Catholic Bible, uh, you wouldn't even have to go to purgatory. Now, of course, I'm not advocating that, that, that that's actually true. But again, I think it'd be healthy for you to read your Bible for a quarter of an hour of a day beyond just uh, 30 days. But according to this teaching, they're granting you indulgences for doing it. And uh, one other example is uh, a prayer to be prayed before reading the Holy Scriptures. And they, they list this prayer, Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Uh, send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of the faithful. By the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us by the same spirit to have a right judgment in all things, and ever to rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. I read that because if you will um, recite this prayer daily for a month, it says that you will get an, uh, a plenary indulgence. But if you just recite this prayer, uh, apparently you will gain an indulgence of five years. Now, again, what does that have to do with the Bible? Absolutely nothing. Um, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of heaven, and he spoke of hell, but not purgatory. Purgatory is a late um, addition even to Roman Catholic doctrine. And uh, neither the Old Testament or the New Testament speaks of uh, any, any place like that. All right, uh, let's talk for a moment about the Ten Commandments. In the teaching of the Ten Commandments, the Roman Catholic Church conveniently leaves out the Second Commandment. I'm going to read you now from the inside cover of that same uh, Roman Catholic Bible, where it uh, lists the Second Commandment as being, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. When in truth, that is not the Second Commandment, that is the Third Commandment. 
The Catholic Church maintains Ten Commandments by dividing the Tenth Commandment into two commandments. So the Tenth Commandment, which uh, we could sum up as thou shalt not covet, they have divided into two. Number nine, making thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, the Ninth Commandment. And the Tenth, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods, when the Lord just uh, heaps them together. Now, uh, what commandment did they leave out? They left out the second commandment from Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5, which says this, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now you see why they leave it out, don't you? It's a common practice to bow down and pray towards statues in the Catholic Church. I did this as a Catholic, and some people object saying, well, we're not teaching them to worship the statues, they're just aids to worship. It really doesn't matter because the commandment, the fullness of the commandment said, you're not to bow down thyself to them. So you are not to bow down uh, to this um, idol, to this uh, graven image, to this statue, and pray towards it. Although that's what I did as a Catholic, because that was a common practice. And um, it's so common, uh, and it was so prevalent. I remember, in uh, we're in the month of May right here, and we were taught when I was uh, younger then that the May was the month of Mary. And every May we would have a special Mass where a statue of Mary would literally be crowned. And so uh, that's why they leave this commandment out of the Catholic Church, because of its practice of having statues and, and venerating them, uh, etc. And uh, if you had this as part of the uh, Ten Commandments when you taught it to the people, they would certainly be questioning why do you have all these statues if the Bible tells us not to bow down ourselves before them. All right, uh, next, the sacrifice of the Mass. I uh, mentioned the Mass, uh, a special Mass of the May crowning for Mary. The Mass is the name that is given to the Roman Catholic Church services. It's fully called the Sacrifice of the Mass. Uh, what we were taught in Roman Catholic religion class was that the Mass was the unbloody sacrifice of Calvary offered again. Each Mass, uh, Jesus is supposedly sacrificed again. Once again, uh, to the Bible for some light. Note the precedent set when the Jewish priests tried to offer sacrifices after the sacrifice of Calvary. And you'd have to be blind not to see the application to the Mass. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse number 9. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. That speaks of Jesus. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10, verse 11. And every priest standeth daily, ministering, and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Very simple very simply put and very simply answered, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ offered himself once for all. Once for all, O sinner, receive it. Once for all, O brother, believe it. Uh, cling to the cross, your burden will fall. Uh, 
Christ hath redeemed us once for all. There is no need for further sacrifices of Calvary, further unbloody sacrifices of Calvary, uh, representing what Christ did on the cross. Christ offered it, and it is sufficient. Another thing I noticed um, now that I'm saved is uh, we say often, um, the Bible says. I think as a Bible teacher and a Bible preacher, the phrase that I probably use the most in my teaching and preaching is that phrase, the Bible says. You know, the main issue in setting doctrine is authority. Bible Christianity differs from Catholicism because they have differing authorities. Whereas I say the Bible says, and Bible preachers and teachers say the same thing, looking back on my Catholic instruction, I noticed that where, where we would say the Bible says, the Roman Catholic priests, when instructing us in matters in which they wish to be authoritative, would say, the church says. We say today, as Bible believers, the Bible says, what I heard them say uh, repetitively was, the church says. When we wanted to make, when they wanted to make an authoritative point in doctrine, the church says. Now, while the Bible is a, fi- is a fixed book with words and doctrines that do not change, the church is an entity that can change and has changed its doctrinal positions through the years. Uh, many Catholics themselves will tell you that the Second Vatican Council, uh, also called Vatican II, which took place from 1962 through 1965, uh, they'll tell you that Vatican II changed important doctrines and decrees in the Roman Catholic Church. I already cited earlier the um, the change in the practice of, of not being able to eat meat uh, on every Friday to the, the more recent practice um, in the last uh, uh, 40 years or so of uh, just not being able to eat meat on Fridays during Lent. Now, the Bible cites the Lord and it cites the Scriptures themselves as being the authority. And, of course, that's where we derive our authority from. That's where we derive our instruction from. In the Bible, you're going to read phrases like this. It is written when when they want to make a a point about um, authority. Uh, You'll read, thus saith the Lord. You'll read, the Scripture saith, and things like that. In praying to the Father, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, verse 17. That's where we get our doctrine from. We get it from the word of God. Uh, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy three sixteen, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. So we're getting our doctrine from the, from the word of God, which is fixed. The scriptures, uh, which are set in stone. And the church now, according to 1 Timothy 3.15, is to be the pillar and ground of the truth, and, and we're to be holding forth the word of life, according to Philippians 2.16, and what we're to do is we're to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. The church is not the truth, though. It's the pillar and ground of the truth, where the Bible is the truth, in John 17, verse 17. So uh, that's where we get our doctrine. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church has been more like um, shifting sand, and it leaves itself uh, the possibility of changing depending on how the wind blows. Uh, see Ephesians 4, 14, and 15 for some additional insight. Uh, with the subject of the Bible on the table, uh, let's talk about uh, the Bible versus tradition in the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church also holds tradition as authoritative. After I got saved in 1980, I went back to my Roman Catholic priest with whom I had counseled, and um, I came back to talk to him about what I had learned, and I was excited about the Bible. Um, I had only been saved for uh, a few weeks, and I only had a New Testament. 
uh, and I had, I'd read through that New Testament, and I had it marked up. And during our conversation, my priest said two amazing things. When I would show him scriptures that went against his position, he'd say, say this. He said, don't you think tradition is important? And I told him not where it goes against the Bible. He also told me that I knew the Bible better than he did. And he didn't say it in a facetious manner. He said it in a, in a genuine manner. Now, I was 18 years old, and I was in the Bible for only a few weeks. And, and to say that I knew it better than my Roman Catholic priest and pastor who's been through uh, seminary and the ministry for many years, and I'd been to confession many times before in my life, but that was the first time I ever had a Roman Catholic priest make a confession to me. <laughs> well, actually, it was the second time. The first time was when one of my priests told me that uh, there were some bishops that, bishops that he liked to boot in the and he used a word that I can't repeat. <laughs> Regarding tradition, here's what the Lord Jesus Christ told the religious leaders of his day. Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Once again, where tradition contradicts the Bible, throw out the tradition and embrace the Bible. Uh, again, on the subject of the Bible, let's talk um, a bit about the Catholic Bible versus the King James Bible. When the Catholic Church does use the Bible, it's important to note that they use a different Bible than we do. The King James Bible contains 66 books, 39 Old Testament books, and 27 New Testament books. The Roman Catholic Bible contains 73 books by adding seven books to the Old Testament canon. These books are known by two collective names. First of all, they're called the Apocrypha, or Apocryphal Books. They're also called deuterocanonical books. It's educational to note, and uh, was surprising to me when I first discovered this, that the word apocryphal means, by definition, number one, of doubtful authenticity. Number two, not genuine, spurious. That comes from Webster's New World Dictionary, uh, copyright 1967. Now, uh, that's, that's what Apocrypha means, and that's really what these books are. They're not genuine books. They're uh, not authentic um, scriptures. Now, I mentioned the Catholic Church adds seven of these to the Old Testament, and there's actually more than seven apocryphal books, but the Catholic Church does not accept them all as uh, scripture. Um, again, I have a Roman Catholic Bible, which I received as a confirmation gift, and it's the one I quoted you from and, uh, in the, regard to the indulgences, and I read the Ten Commandments from the uh, uh, inside cover. And it is the St. Joseph, New Catholic Edition, and it contains seven apocryphal books that are interwoven in various places in the Old Testament. I also have a Jerusalem Bible, which is an accepted Roman Catholic um, edition, or an edition that's accepted for use by Roman Catholics, and it likewise contains seven apocryphal books. Because the Roman Catholic Church accepts these books as part of the canon of scriptures, they are called deuterocanonical books, which means literally second canon. Second canon. Um, the uh, word uh, deutero, you, you, you recognize the word Deuteronomy, from, or the name Deuteronomy from the Bible. 
uh, the fifth book in the Bible. Deuteronomy comes from uh, the, the, a couple words, deutero meaning two or second, and then um, from uh, anomy, it comes from a, a Greek word which means law, and what Deuteronomy is is the second giving of the law. Uh, the Ten Commandments were giving, given twice in the Bible, once in Exodus, and then the second time in Deuteronomy. And then Deuteronomy also rehashes a lot of other things that uh, went on in Israel's um, uh, history as uh, God began to deal with them. So they're called deuterocanonical books, which means they're second, uh, second canon. They, they, they believe them to be authoritative uh, scriptures. In April 8th, uh, uh, 1546, during the Fourth Council, or the Fourth Session, rather, of the Council of Trent, the Roman Catholic Church decreed that these books were part of the sacred books of the Bible, and they were to be part of the Old Testament. All of the decrees of the Council of Trent were formally confirmed by Pope Pius IV in 1564. And uh, I've uh, given a couple links to um, the Council of Trent and what they had to say about this so that you can look there and, and see it for yourself. Um, these apocryphal books are Tobit, or Tobias in some versions, Judith, Wisdom, Ecclesiasticus, or Sirach in uh, some versions. And Ecclesiasticus is not to be confused with the proper book of Ecclesiastes, uh, which is uh, in the, our Bible and is also in the Roman Catholic Bible. And then Baruch and First and Second Maccabees. So it's, again, Tobit, Judith, Wisdom, Ecclesiasticus, Baruch, First Maccabees and Second Maccabees. Um, the they also include additions. The apocryphal literature does. They also include additions to the Book of Daniel, adding two chapters to Daniel for a total of fourteen chapters. Chapter thirteen being uh, Susanna's virtue, and chapter fourteen uh, being Bell and the Dragon. Um, my Saint Joseph New Catholic Edition also includes additions to the Book of Esther, adding ten verses to the. Uh, end of the book of Esther, so 10 verses, additional verses in uh, chapter 10, and then six additional chapters for a total of 16 chapters in the book of Esther. Now, before somebody objects and says, well, the original King James Bible included the Apocrypha, if you do your homework, you can easily find that the original King James Bible did not include the Apocrypha as part of the Old Testament canon of Scripture, but the Apocrypha was inserted between the Testaments noting that it was not included as part of the canon of Scripture. They put it in there simply for um, certain historical reference and, and uh, uh, enlightenment about customs of uh, the time. So they did not include it as part of the Scriptures, nor do we uh, today as part of the canon of Scriptures. Now, before going on, let me point out three uh, significant things regarding the Apocrypha. And really, I'm going to use these and we'll, we'll wrap it up here. No New Testament writer ever cites any quotation from any of the apocryphal books. If they were authentic, you'd figure to get at least one quote from one of the books, but their batting average is zero. Never a quote from any one of the apocryphal books. Another thing to note is this. It's from the apocrypha that the Catholics get the idea of praying and offering sacrifices for the dead. Let me read you from um, 2 Maccabees, uh, chapter 12, verses 42 from, uh, through 46, first reading from the St. Joseph's uh, edition I've been reading from before. And so betaking themselves to prayers, they besought him that the sin which had been committed might be forgotten. But the most valiant Judas exhorted the people to keep themselves from sin, for as much as they saw before their eyes what had happened, 
because of the sins of those that were slain. And making a gathering, he sent 12,000 drachmas of silver to Jerusalem for sacrifice to be offered for the sins of the dead, thinking well and religiously concerning the resurrection. For if he had not hoped that they that were slain should rise again, it would have seemed superfluous and vain to pray for the dead. And because he had considered that they who had fallen asleep with godliness had great grace laid up for them, it is therefore a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead that they may be loosed from their sins. That's the uh, rendition from the St. Joseph's New Catholic Edition. I'm going to read you another quotation of this. This is from an online version, um, which I'll also give you the link for in the show notes. Uh, and this uh, latest revision was said to be December 8, 2006. Same uh, passage. And they turned to prayer, beseeching that the sin which had been committed might be wholly blotted out. And the noble Judas exhorted the people to keep themselves free from sin, for they had seen with their own eyes what had happened because of the sin of those who had fallen. He also took up a collection, man by man, to the amount of 2,000 drachmas of silver and sent it to Jerusalem to provide for a sin offering. In doing this, he acted very well and honorably, taking account of the resurrection. For if he were not expecting that those who had fallen would rise again, it would have been superfluous and foolish to pray for the dead. But if he was looking to the splendid reward that is laid up for those who fall asleep in godliness, it was a holy and pious thought. Therefore, he made atonement for the dead, that they might be delivered from their sin. And we don't even have to take time, I don't think, right now to uh, talk about the error of that doctrine. But uh, uh, once a person's dead, his eternal fate is sealed. If you, if, when the rich man died, he was immediately in hell and he lifted up his eyes. When um, a Christian dies, Paul declares he's absent from the body and present with the Lord. Now one other thing, and this is uh, a note of interest. And, uh, and, and it's important, though. I think there's instruction here. Leviticus chapter 24 and verses 5 and 6 talks about the showbread. And it says of the showbread, And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two-tenth deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. They were to take that showbread and lay it out. There was 12 uh, pieces of it, or 12 loaves, and they were to put them out there six on a row. They called them cakes, 12 cakes of showbread, six on a row. So you had two rows of six, um, six, six, 66. <laughs> and again, this may not be as authoritative as some of the other things we've said, but I think it's, I think it's interesting, and I think, I, I think there's uh, merit to it. But um, 66. Those two rows would show you a six and a six. Six next to six is 66. And coincidentally, uh, that's the number of books in the true bread of life. That's the number of books in our Bible. It was called show bread because it was there to show you something. And I believe what the Lord has done is he's shown us that the King James Bible has the right amount of books without the Apocrypha. Now, um, we've just gone through 14 areas where you'll find important differences between Roman Catholic dogma and the Holy Scriptures. And there's a lot more than these, but this is a strong sampling of what you'll see as you compare the two. And so let me ask you, as we close, where is your faith? Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, 
So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We should put our faith in the scriptures, not in any man that contradicts the scriptures, or not in any uh, system that contradicts the scriptures, or not in any tradition that contradicts the scriptures. As Paul said, if, if we are an angel of God, preach any other gospel than that which is preached, let him be accursed. Oh, one other note. Uh, if you'll go back and you'll look up the uh, Council of uh, Trent, uh, you look under the fourth session, you might have to scroll down, you'll find that uh, the folks that did not acknowledge that those uh, apocryphal books were part of the canon of scriptures, it said they were anathema. The Roman Catholic Church pronounced a curse upon those that didn't accept them as uh, scriptures. Uh, but uh, once again, uh, that doesn't worry us at all. Uh, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We got the right uh, amount of books, 66. Uh, we've got the, the books uh, of the Old Testament, uh, often quoted in the New. Every major section of books in the Old Testament has uh, representation by quotation in the New. So uh, I recommend highly that you, you get back to the Bible and read it. Maybe you're going to get to it for the first time. And if you don't, you don't like some of the things that have been said, uh, again, I'm, I'm not trying to pick a, a fight or, or be mean or ugly or anything like that. I just encourage you to do what I did. Seek you out of the book of the Lord and read. Read it from cover to cover. Make it your life's project, a goal before you die, to read every word of the Bible and find out what it says for yourself. All right. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Strobel. There was a lot of information there and very informative. And um, hopefully it, it might have answered some questions or, or maybe posed some questions that some listeners might might want to take a closer look at. Matt. Steve and Matt? I just uh, wanted to add, too, it seems like a lot of uh, uh, Roman Catholics that you talk to, they, they go to uh, a Catholic church, uh, you try and uh, show them some of these things maybe out of the Word of God, and, and you're not trying to be uh, mean or rude or anything like that. You just want to show them, hey, listen, this is what God showed me in the Bible. Um, it does go against what your religion does. But but a lot of times what they do is they say, well, listen, you know, uh, y y maybe that's just how you interpret interpret it. You know, our, our church has to interpret the scriptures and, and tell us really what that scripture means and things like that. And the problem with that is, is that, the, you know, the Bible tells us that, that we don't need an organization, you know, a church, whatever it is, to tell us what the scriptures say. Uh, you know, we, of course, go to church and, and uh, get reproved, rebuked, and, uh, and, and are, are led in the scriptures and, and to learn. Um, but the Bible says clearly that, that the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to teach us. It, we don't need a, a, a certain organization to teach us uh, what to believe from the Bible. And uh, I just wanted to show you a couple of verses. Um, if you go to, um, let's see where to start, First John chapter 2 and verse 25, the Bible says, And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. So the Bible tells us right here that this anointing is the Holy Spirit. You know that because this it says that uh, in the very beginning it says, but the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. And we know according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that our temple, that our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. If you're born again and have accepted Christ as your Savior, 
he is the one that teaches you in all truth. And, you know, you don't have to go to a church organization. You don't have to go to uh, a priest to, to tell you exactly what to believe. You go to the scriptures, and, uh, and the scriptures will tell you, uh, uh, and the Holy Spirit will uh, answer to you and show you, hey, this is what the Bible says. Just like Pastor Strobel showed you through the Bible. You know, we're supposed to search the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And, uh, and I just pray that if, if there's anybody going to a Catholic church, um, they'll, they'll really take a look at this. They'll really open up the scriptures and, and pray about it and uh, ask the Holy Spirit to guide them through it. Yeah, amen. Um, I guess the, the one thing I could say, um, and I think Pastor Strobel's alluded to it throughout the, the, uh, the lesson, is the fact that, uh, unfortunately, many of our uh, Roman Catholic people, um, I was not brought up Roman Catholic, I was brought up Lutheran, although uh, even at the time that I was a Lutheran, they you know, there were overtures made to come back to the Roman Catholic Church, and many of the practices that the, the Lutherans hold are very uh, similar uh, to the Roman Catholic uh, beliefs and so forth. But uh, I guess the statement that I want to make is the fact that most people will stay with the religion, with their faith, because that's what they were brought up in, even though it contradicts what the Word of God says. And that's a mistake, because the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. And that would mean even those that, that uh, have made up the particular denomination that they're following, be it Roman Catholic, be it Lutheran, be it Episcopalian, or whatever it is. I'm reminded uh, of this verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Amen. Now, uh, you know, it, it is incumbent upon each one of us uh, to face up to the word of God and deal with God and not a denomination. Um, you know, unfortunately, with those denominations, they either hold you through fear or uh, give you some sense of, of you need to keep your allegiance with your denomination. And many things are done. Uh, families have done some very, very horrible things in, in you know, kicking the people out of the family and all kinds of things. Uh, to try to intimidate people in, in staying with the denomination. Uh, but the Word of God is more important than a denomination. In fact, if you go through the, the Scriptures, you're not going to find denomination there. The only one you're going to find is the Jewish religion, and that Jesus Christ was changing by virtue of the New Testament and the, and the things that were going on there, the Apostle Paul and his writings. So, denomination is man-made, and the Word of God is from God. And that's where you have to make, you have to make a stand. You have to, to determine within yourself if you're going to follow what the Bible says or you're going to follow what the denomination says. And I would urge you to follow the Word of God because uh, it's in the Scriptures that you have eternal life. 
it's it's not in the denomination. Amen. But you know, no one likes to think that something they've believed and right. maybe for a long time, you know, is wrong or is not true. So, if there's, well, first of all, there's a if there's a person that would consider themselves a Roman Catholic that has listened to that entire podcast, mm-hmm. thank you for doing that. I mean, I think yeah, that's. Maybe. That's certainly a beginning. You're, you're, you know, and what better way than on a podcast like this where you can listen to that in private? You don't have to be embarrassed or worried or, you know. So you can listen to that. You can, you can pause it. You can check out these scripture references that Pastor Strobel has given and read and see is, is that true? Does that go against what, what uh, the Roman Catholic Church has taught me? And if it does, do I need to be concerned? Um, you know, unfortunately, some of the folks that I have met with and talked with, they they just soon say, "I don't care what the Bible says." <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm 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 going with what my church teaches. Amen. I, I want to add another thing too, and that is, in addition to looking up the scriptures, uh, pray about these things. Mm-hmm. You know, there's another practice in the in the Catholic Church which we didn't get into, and that is um, the practice of just repeating, vainly repeating your prayers. And the Lord told us we're, we're not to pray that way using vain repetitions. When I talk about praying, I'm not talking about then just repeating some rote or memorized prayer, but talking to God from your heart. The scripture says you're to, you're to pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us in Psalm 62 verse 8. So talk to him and God knows what the truth is. And one of the things I just began to do was to ask him to show it to me. I asked, I mean, if God was big enough to create the heavens and the earth, and I believed he was, and he certainly is, and I believe he was big enough to show me the truth if I really wanted to know it. And if you're sincere and genuine, Jesus said, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether mm-hmm. it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Yeah. Amen. I, you know, I remember as as. Uh, Pastor Strobel alluded to several times the the shock of reality. Uh, now I was faithful uh, Lutheran, uh, a tender, and and so forth. I I would go even with my my family didn't go, and uh, you know was faithful in the services and so forth. And knew you know the drill and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I remember the shock of reality in, in seeing that the scripture said one thing and, and the religion that I had followed for all of those years said something else. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it was so much anger, but it was just surprise. Uh, and, you know, I just remember trying to follow the, the system of which it was set up and failing time after time after time turning over new leaf after new leaf after new leaf and never having the the conscience clear that I had done what was required. Amen. I always felt like you had to keep keep doing more and more and more and 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 I could never satisfy it seemed like I could never satisfy God uh, by having that clear conscience. And when the light of the gospel finally came to me, um, and it's a long story for that, but once that, once that came, and I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, all of that inward guilt and feeling of, of happening to do all the time left. That burden of sin disappeared. And all of a sudden, 
serving God was not a duty, but a privilege. And, Amen. And uh, uh, just because I, I wanted to please him, instead of running from a, a fearful being that, that I thought was hold, you know, holding a stick over me all of the time, you know, because I, I wasn't doing enough, uh, finally became a loving Heavenly Father that had forgiven me all of my sins. And uh, again, that's the difference between a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and following a denomination. Amen. All right. Our piano player started. <laughs> Troubles and times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Well, I was brought up in a Bible uh, believing uh, Baptist church. Uh, we might know the pastor, Dad, right? <laughs> Yeah, we might. Right. I don't know if I remember his name, though. Do you? No, I would neither. <laughs> I was uh, raised in it till I was about eight or nine years old, and uh, the pastor was uh, Pastor Scott Strobel. Uh, I was a little little munchkin then. Uh, I don't He's know. Was big... any well any more well behaved back then, Pastor Strobel? Um, <laughs> I don't know. He's <laughs> pause. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I glad he really had to think on that one. <laughs> he's still thinking. He hasn't made it. He hasn't said anything yet. Yeah, yeah you were pretty good back then. I don't know how about now. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're a big munchkin now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a blessing. It's a blessing when I see um, young people that that spend any time in our church and they grow up and they're serving the Lord like Brother Matt is, and uh, mm-hmm. we could use a whole bunch more like them. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate the strong preaching, and, and definitely you were a big part in uh, me getting saved, and of course my dad as well, and so I thank both of you. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. You know, just as we were talking there, maybe on a separate page or maybe one podcast we, we could go just maybe go through our testimonies. I was yeah. thinking the same thing. Amen. Yeah. That'd be good. Testimonies are in the Bible. Paul gave his. All right. My Lord willing, we'll see everybody here again next time. Many will meet their doom. Trumpets will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise. Righteous begin the skies. Going where no one dies. Heavenward bound. This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on.